0: Welcome to another episode of the SaaS Podcast. I'm your host, Omar Khan, and this is the show where I interview proven founders and industry experts who share their stories, strategies, and insights to help you build, launch, and grow your SaaS business. In this episode, I talk to Sean Finder, the co-founder and CEO of AutoClose, an all-in-one outbound sales automation platform. Now, competing in a crowded market Can be really tough. Having a great product and clear differentiation is super important, but sometimes that's not enough. You also need a great product launch that helps you stand out in the market and drive rapid product adoption. In 2016, Sean had an idea for a new SaaS product. He already had an existing business and realized that many of his customers were struggling with the same issue. So he started thinking about how he could build a SaaS product to help them. And after doing some research, he decided he was going to go all in with this new SaaS business. But there was one problem. Sean was building a sales automation product. And so he was about to enter an extremely crowded and competitive market. No matter how good his product was, he knew it was going to be a challenge to stand out in that market. So he knew that a successful launch was going to be critical for this new business. In this interview, you'll learn how Sean started promoting Autoclose six months before it launched and how he had a thousand demos booked the day they launched. We'll also talk about how Sean worked with industry influencers and partners to help promote Autoclose and get in front of a much bigger audience. And we talk about how Sean used social selling on LinkedIn to position himself as an authority in the space and attract more prospects. And as a result, the business has gone from zero to over a million dollars a year in about 18 months. There are a lot of great insights and lessons in this interview. So I hope you enjoy it.
1: Sean, welcome to the show. Very excited to be here, Omar. I can't wait to to talk to you about our SaaS platform.
0: So first, let's start by talking about what gets you out of bed. Do you have a favorite quote that inspires or, or motivates you or kind of just helps you work on your business every day?
1: Yeah, I do actually. So, you know what, I've always been, um, I always have ideas. So the quote that resonates with me and I'm a very big sports fan is uh, Wayne Gretzky's, uh, you miss 100% of the shots you don't take. And that was kind of a quote that I uh, learned uh, early on in my career.
0: People often talk about that other quote, right? About the puck with Wayne Gretzky.
1: Yeah, there's another one, but it's, uh, I find, you know, you got to keep throwing darts and then hopefully one sticks.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Okay. So let's talk about AutoClose. Can you just start by just telling for people who aren't familiar with the product, what does it do? Who's your target customer and and what problem are you trying to solve?
1: Yeah. So AutoClose is a sales engagement platform with a built-in B2B database. So therefore we have the automation aspect, the sales automation aspect. We also have the data aspect put into the software. So people that are looking to fill the top of their sales funnel with new qualified leads and prospecting can go in, search and filter through our database and automate their outreach um, to those clients and personalize it directly in one place.
0: So when you say sales engagement platform, one of the things it does is it helps you automate the process of sending out cold emails, but it's more than that, right?
1: Yeah. And the follow-ups. I mean, a lot of salespeople, I think, you know, nowadays, you know, after one to two emails, if they don't get a response, they say, oh, that person's not interested. What a sales automation platform allows you to do is, you know, automate six, eight, 10 emails over a certain amount of time. To really keep engaging with that prospect until they actually, hopefully, reply to you and say, yeah, I'll give you 15 minutes for a call, demo, etc.
0: And what do you mean by a built-in B2B database?
1: So four years ago, I started a company called Exchange Leads, which is a data company. So the data company has 28 million B2B prospects in it. We sell data from that company. And what we did was we just integrated that inside AutoClose. So inside the platform, when you're choosing who you want to email, you can you know upload your own contacts, or you can actually search and filter through our database to get brand new contacts into your sales sequences.
0: Got it. Okay. Yeah. So this is like, there's a lot of tools out there that make it sort of easy for you to say, if you have a list, you can kind of upload that and get it in here, but you're going beyond that and saying, yeah, you can do that, but we also have a database of millions of people. It's... Built into the product, and you can start using it once you're signed up and and in the product.
1: Yeah. So if you look at like Outreach or Sales Loft, and then on the other hand, you have like Discover, Org, and Zoom. Imagine having both those tools combined in one. And that's kind of what the the play we are with AutoClose. Got it.
0: Okay. So you launched AutoClose a couple of years ago. I think it was 2017, right?
1: Yeah. It was late uh, December 2017.
0: Yeah. And I've been kind of, Seeing a lot of buzz and and you know certainly from my perspective traction happening with auto close in in a fairly short amount of time and in a fairly crowded market so I was kind of really keen to get you on the show to kind of find out like what what have you been up to what have you guys been doing but before we get into that tell me a little bit about like how did you come up with the idea for auto close
1: okay so it's a great question well, I'll I'll even go back a little further than that I actually did an MBA in finance. So I had a finance MBA, was working downtown in Toronto at one of the largest banks. And uh, the tourist story was on the elevator after two weeks, my manager was beside me and everyone was just staring at the computer or the, the screen at the top, you know, the TV at the top. And no one says good morning. And I would say good morning to my boss. and He would look at me like, Sean, like, why are you saying good morning? <laughs> and I said, you know, this is not for me. I'm, I'm very outgoing. I've always been a good networker, an extrovert personality. And I got an opportunity as a VP of sales. I took that opportunity as a VP of sales. And found, you know, a thing in the market with data that was, you know, not hot. There wasn't high quality data on the market. There was companies that were selling data, but it wasn't high quality. And I came up with my first business, um, exchange leads. And then once we came up with exchange leads, two years in, I said, yeah, I can either pay the government in, in Canada a lot of taxes or I can build another product. And our clients were asking for something to use. They loved our data, but they didn't have a platform to email from. And that's how we came up with the idea of auto close by listening to our clients. And then a year and a half after developing it, we came up with Autoclose and here we are today.
0: And so was Autoclose your first kind of software product?
1: No. So Exchange Leads is my first product, but we have Exchange Leads data integrated inside Autoclose. So Exchange Leads is what feeds the B2B database inside Autoclose. So Autoclose is my second SaaS product.
0: Okay. Okay. So it wasn't just a database in terms of with Exchange Leads. It was actually a product.
1: Yeah. So Exchange Leads was a SaaS product. And then what we did was we still have exchange leads, but it also feeds auto close. But our main focus as a company today is auto close.
0: Okay, so what did you do to get started? I know uh, you, you kind of started doing a fair amount of kind of marketing before you even launched the product, right?
1: Yeah, so one of the, 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 the best things I did actually was I actually wanted people to feel like they were a part of building our product. So what I mean by that is eight months before we actually even launched, we built just a landing page with our idea, and an email. And people that would leave their email, throughout that eight months, we would send them surveys, questionnaires. Once we built you know, 20% of our product, we'd send it to them in a video. So we basically made, like, you imagine having a building and you're going floor by floor and you're building it. We made all of our subscribers, and early on subscribers feel like they built the product with us and we built it for them. So when we actually launched Autoclose, we already had 2,400 people on an email list Where when we had our webinar, we had hundreds of people come to a webinar that were interested right away, only because they felt like they were part of building something for eight months and not just you know sent an email three days before come see what we've built. So I think that was a very very big reason why we had such a successful launch.
0: And you ended up doing what like a thousand demos on launch day.
1: So we had actually almost a thousand demos booked on our launch day, and at that point, to be honest, it was just me in a boardroom. (laughs) Wow. And I was like, oh, you know what? I have to get salespeople. So I actually had. Three of my friends take a week off their job, taught them over a weekend our product and had the four of us really in our office drilling the auto demos. And funny enough, two of them actually quit their jobs because they love the product so much and now still still to this day work for us.
0: Wow. So I'm curious because like even going back to 2017, there were probably already a lot of products on the market similar to auto so what was it about the opportunity that kind of made you feel like, yeah, this is the thing that I want to invest my time and money in for the next few years?
1: Yeah. So it, it came to the, 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 where I felt like sales leaders in general are now looking for consolidation. There's so many different CRMs out there. There's so many different marketing tools, email marketing tools and sales tools. Now, the tools that are going to stand out are the ones that consolidate more into one because at the end of the day, salespeople want to make money. They don't want to have to go to their computer and go to the tab and log into Salesforce then log into another application and log into MailChimp and et cetera, et cetera. So our advantage was having the built-in database inside the platform. Because as you said, there's a lot of sales automation tools out there, but there's not many or any tools that have an internal built-in database right in the platform. So you don't have to go buy data. You don't have to go buy a sales engagement tool. Here you can buy one tool and you have it all inside it.
0: And how did you decide like what market you were going to focus on?
1: So that's, you know, that's one of the early on mistakes. We, we didn't really do enough research on our buyer's persona at the beginning. I would, and we'll talk about that a little bit, but we, I wanted to have, you know, the sales lofts and outreach are good at what they do. And, and one thing I, with all my business, I never put my competitors down. So I will tell you, they both have very good platforms. Um, and their platforms are more for those whale clients, those really big enterprise. So we kind of fit ourselves in that SM, you know, small, medium sized businesses. And if we have a whale play that likes it, we'll let them come on. But if you know if they want to compare us to an outreach, I'll say, listen, you know, outreach is a great tool for enterprise. So we try and stay in that sweet spot. And that's where we've been focusing on most of our targeting on right now.
0: Okay. So you've been in business with with autoclose for less than two years. Can you give us an idea of the size of the business?
1: Yeah. So currently in the size of the business, we have about there's about thirty to thirty-five people now that between support, development, and sales and marketing. And Actually, our year end is next week, and uh, we actually hit seven figures. So we've been, uh, we grew about three, three and a half X in our first, our first year. So we did about 300,000 in our first year, and we hit one of our milestones this year, which was over, over seven figures.
0: Oh, that's awesome. Congratulations. Thank you. Okay, cool. So is the business bootstrapped? Did you fund it through the exchange lease business? Did you look for investment? Like, how did the business get funded?
1: Great question. So we actually bootstrapped it. So we bootstrapped our first company, Exchange Leads. And then Exchange Leads is what, I guess, paid for the development of AutoClose. So we took the profits instead of, as I said, paying the government. We took the profits from Exchange Leads, built AutoClose. And uh, we were break even, I would say, in our first 60 days. So we had a very successful launch. And we're currently at the stage now where we're looking to really scale. So we are potentially going to look at investors. But so far, Um, everything's been bootstrapped
0: okay so i want to talk about like how you've grown so quickly with a bootstrap business the first thing i want to kind of go back to the sort of the six months before you launched and this sort of this buzz that you were creating number one like how are you building the list to sort of generate this buzz and well let's talk about that first so how were you building that list
1: So simply, we had just a simple landing page. All we had was a landing page and we would use that and we would, A, we also had our exchange leads clients. So that also gave us a big boost. So we'd have a landing page and we'd send it to our exchange leads clients, say, hey, we're developing this. Um, So that was one way. I'm a very big advocate of social selling and LinkedIn. So we promoted on LinkedIn and told people on LinkedIn what we're building. And we just, we just did a lot of blogs and stuff around what we were where we were planning on going, and kind of like sharing our roadmap. So for that, we had a lot of people sign up and give their email on that one landing page, which, as I said, gave us the big boost at the start. But you know, to be perfectly honest, we did also have the Exchange Leads clients that liked working with us, trusted us already. So it was pretty easy to convince them to come to a webinar when we actually did launch the product.
0: Got it. And then once you'd launched, so you've got this initial traction, this excitement, you've got these demos booked. What did you do beyond that to start to grow this business?
1: So, I mean, anyone that's building any SaaS product, if you don't believe in your own product, you shouldn't start a SaaS product. So what we did was we started using AutoClose while we were building it. We started using AutoClose with our database to promote AutoClose because ideally it saves hours and hours a day in prospecting. So for the first little bit, we used AutoClose to generate more leads, but we also did a few other things. We also started from my own network, started connecting with influencers you know, and started working on my personal brand and and our brand on LinkedIn. And by that, when you connect with influencers and you start posting stuff and you build a relationship with those influencers, when you do launch a product or anything, they'll help you with the launch because now say, for example, I have 20,000 followers and then you find 15 influencers that each have 20,000 followers. Well, guess what? Now you have half a million people seeing that landing page. So connecting with influencers was was a big, big way. We got a lot of buzz, And and obviously you have to build those relationships months before your launch so that they actually help you when you do launch your product.
0: What were you doing to reach out to these people and and try to build a relationship? Great question. Social
1: touches. And we still use social touches in our campaigns today. And what I mean by that is go on LinkedIn. And if you, what I would do is first, obviously you have to connect with those influencers on LinkedIn. And then anytime they post, you want to share or like their stuff and build conversations with them because LinkedIn and and sales in general, it's a, it's a, a give and get. You know, if you're not going to, you're not going to give, you're not going to get. So by me giving and sharing their content on LinkedIn and liking their content on LinkedIn and commenting and building conversation with people on LinkedIn, whenever I would go up to them and ask them for a favor, they realize that I always help them by sharing stuff with them that when I ask them to share something, I don't even have to ask. They're going to do it because I've done it for months and months, which is something I still do today is now I don't do it with influencers. I actually do it with prospects. We have quotes out there with big clients. I'll start commenting and posting and engaging with them on LinkedIn as a social touch to try and get them to sign that deal a lot quicker.
0: And so how much time were you spending or do you spend on LinkedIn? Because you're, you're a guy about, you know, you're in a business about basically automation, getting this stuff done in less time. And a lot of the things you're talking about here with LinkedIn and connecting with influencers and these social touches sounds like a lot of work and a lot of time.
1: It, it, it definitely is. So AutoClose to me runs itself. Auto close sends out or not even auto any sales engagement tool. You know, you send out the emails. It's emailing for you. It's prospecting for you. I'm on LinkedIn. My LinkedIn tab's up open all the time, but I'm on it very regularly. I actually I share all our podcasts. I put quotes. I put sales tips. We get a lot of clients by just being engaged on LinkedIn. So hours wise, I would lie. I would say uh, when I'm not on demos or on calls, I'm on LinkedIn. So if I have six calls, you know, my call ends at. in the afternoon, from 2.40 to 3, I might post something or engage um, the next hour. So I always find time for LinkedIn at nighttime. In the evenings, I'm on LinkedIn a lot as well. My wife might hate me for it, but I am on it.
0: (laughs) And sort of in that first year when, you know, after you'd launched, what kind of content or posts were you sharing on LinkedIn?
1: Yeah. So one of the, the first things we posted, I'll just talk about the first thing we posted with articles, which was in our first three months. And it was a, a, a book, an ebook. And it was called, I believe, uh, 367 years of sales experience, for example. And what we did was we had 27 influencers. We combined how many years of sales experience they each had when they told us, and we built an ebook around it. And just that one ebook alone, without a dollar in paid advertising, got us over 3,000 leads. People to download the book and read it. So we find that... From LinkedIn? For, no, that was from our just our book. We just posted the book and and published it and sent it to our, you know, our, our MailChimp newsletter list, etc. On LinkedIn, we post it. Our influencers shared it and we got about 3,000 leads. And then those 3,000 leads would go through auto close. And then a certain percentage of those would book demos with our sales team, et cetera. So when we go into different ways, I would say ebook, um, we built one about three months ago again is one of the best ways we actually received a ton of leads outside of auto close.
0: Why do you think that is? Because there's a lot of ebooks out there. That don't do that well, and they're not that particularly interesting. People might download it and then sort of just forget about it. I know you guys, I saw a recent one that you had. Maybe it was something, it was kind of like a B2B kind of sales guide or something that maybe. Yep, yep, the sales handbook. Yeah. So, like, what's your thinking? Like, how do you think about packaging this up in a way that this, whatever you put out there, is going to resonate with people, stand out?
1: Yeah. And, and it's because I put real life stuff, real life situations. I show them the, the results. So, I mean, for example, in, in that ebook, one of the things we did was we showed how I got, I, one of my posts got, I think it was 273,000 views on LinkedIn. One post that took me five minutes to post got 273,000. We talk about why it got the post and what we post and the reason why and different growth strategies on LinkedIn, how to beat the algorithms. One of the other things we talked about was, you know, email templates. We know that a lot of our clients have trouble building templates or let me say our clients, let's say anybody in general. Salespeople sometimes don't know how to build a good converting template. So we actually, in the book, we'll put the 14 best converting templates from our clients. So what we're doing is we are continue to provide value on what are the best subject lines to use. It's nothing to do with auto-close. It's not salesy. It's more of value that a salesperson can open it up and say, oh, let me try this template. Oh, you know what? Let me like this person after I send a quote and see if that works. So we show a lot of the stuff that works in those books. And it really resonates with the average salesperson because they they will use it. And it's just a lot of things that we do that's outside of the box that a normal salesperson would not do.
0: So one more question about LinkedIn. When you were in that first year, were you kind of... I see a lot of people like they kind of spend a lot of time just reaching out to people on LinkedIn, trying to get a connection, sending out a connection request, et cetera. Were you kind of taking that approach or was this more about, you know, I'm going to kind of position myself in terms of an authority and I'm going to share content and I'll build followers, but I won't sort of actively spend time kind of trying to build connections. What what was your approach?
1: So my approach, I'll tell you my approach. I don't know if it was, it's the exact way I would do it today, but my early on approach was I actually hired a virtual assistant. And my virtual assistant would log into my LinkedIn two hours every night when I was sleeping because they were outsourced. And they would be adding because the max you can add on LinkedIn was 100 a day. I don't know if that's still the same. And the most you can have is 30,000 connections. I would have them personalize messages to 100 people every single day. Take them two hours to do. But they would do people that were in my target market. Might be VP of sales, might be national sales manager, etc. And that's how I built my, my initial connection up to 30,000. Would I do that now? Maybe I mean, I get a lot of followers now by how much we engage in the the blog, but i I also back then didn't have the time to do all the content because I was starting a business where i didn't have you know thirty some odd employees like I have today, so when it was just a handful of us, I had to take on the responsibility of do it, and I you know outsourced a lot of it, so the virtual assistant was a very big help early on to get that early traction because I always say your network is your net worth, so um, continue to get those connections on LinkedIn because. Every person that's going to buy from you, you're going to sell to, that's going to be your prospect, that's going to be your client, has a LinkedIn profile. You just have to go in there and find them.
0: Yeah, yeah. Okay, so you also have spent a fair amount of effort in building different types of partnerships as well. Can you tell us a little bit about that?
1: Yeah, so that's one thing we've been recently doing, um, is trying to build out a lot of partnerships. You know, there's a lot of very cool things that you can add to email. So one would be like video, you know, so we partner with a Vidyard. Calendly, which I love for scheduling automation. We partner with them. Now, the good thing about partnering with these, these companies is, is A, you provide another asset to your clients, but B, when you do some sort of cross promotion, you know, we're promoting Calendly to our users and I use Calendly, so I will endorse it but Calendly then endorses us. So it's, it's kind of a give and take. So one thing I like to do is I only partner with companies that I've actually got my hands dirty with. I won't just partner with anybody. So Vidyard was one, Calendly was one. And then we started doing integrations with different CRMs, et cetera. So when people come to us, because anybody that's going to need a sales engagement tool is going to say, oh, well, what CRM should I connect it to? Or you know, what's the best way to cold call these people, et cetera. So we partner with people that we trust we build relationship with them, and then we do cross-promotion webinars, etc., to teach our audience how to use those platforms.
0: And so some of these partnerships were kind of like the integrations with Calendly. Yep. And then others were kind of like, you were just doing like kind of webinars or sort of educational type events.
1: Yep. So what we would do is I would do special things with, uh, let's say somebody has Fifty thousand people in their Facebook group or their LinkedIn group has twenty thousand. inside sales or something. We'll actually contact the owner and we'll do we'll give them revenue for us to do some sort of cross promotion inside with their followers. So we did like an affiliate program where let us do a webinar or something to your audience, and we'll give you twenty percent recurring revenue of whatever people purchase off us, et etc. So that also gave us way to get into these different groups and work it that way. We also did something where we would work with like an influencer and say, Hey, I saw you just published a book. Why don't we do this? Why don't we, I'll do a webinar and we'll talk about your book on the webinar so you can promote your book to our audience and we can promote our platform to your audience. It's a win-win. So any partnership is only going to work if it's a win-win situation. If it's going to be one way, A, you're going to lose a friend and B, you're going to lose a partner. Yeah,
0: it's a good way to think about it. So you've clearly had some experience from your previous business with Exchange Leads, which also kind of laid the foundation in many ways for the auto-close business. And all the things you've described so far, everything from you know months before launching the product to all these sort of growth efforts that you've been taking have clearly paid off and, and helped you to get to you know, over a million dollars a year.
1: What were some of the mistakes that you made? What didn't go well? That's a great, great question. So the first mistake that I would say is I focused too much on bringing clients and not focusing on the product, which I think I mentioned with auto Close, we focus more on the product and let the clients come. So that was probably the biggest mistake early on we did. Second, I would say when we originally started with auto Close or any of our side, you we know knowing how can to say it, we, we started prospecting to sales, VPs of sales. And then when we actually sat down on a weekend, one weekend, it was about actually three months ago, we said, what is our buyer's persona? you know, why are people buying? What should the content be? And we found that our content to our VP of sales might've been incorrect. So what we did was we said, okay, you know, CEOs, they want to make more money. VPs of sales, they want their sales reps to hit their quota because they get bonuses on it. Sales reps want more demos. So we had to really find out who our buyer's persona was. And we found that out late. And now we're finding out that, you know, for small, medium, you know, it's almost best to go right to the decision maker CEOs, then go right over the sales managers, because the CEOs, if they don't make the decision, will introduce you to the VP of sales. So that was one other thing recently that I would say would be a mistake. The third is pricing. And initially, we kind of went in where we knew we were up against sales law and outreach and these bigger guys, and we priced ourselves really cheap. And we got kind of you know, bigger companies would look at you and if they think you're, you know, they think you're too cheap, they think, oh, well, you know, they're probably, you know, just a startup. They're not ready for us, et cetera. So I think one of the things we did early on was our pricing was too cheap. I did like our strategy, but it did hurt us a little bit for about a few months. But now when people see all the features we release, we've kind of uh, made that up. So I would say those would be the three really big business lessons that I learned. Actually, I got one more for you. was when a developer tells you something is going to take them 2 months, multiply it by 3 or 4 cuz developers always exaggerate how long <laughs> it will take for development or a new feature. And I'm a sales guy so I always think, you know, okay, I take your word for it, but the uh, development is a lot slower than expected. Let's just say that. <laughs>
0: yeah. Okay. So the first mistake you talked about was with exchange leads and saying you know, I focus too much time on getting clients and not enough time on the features in the product. I've spoken to a lot of founders who would say, you know, one of the biggest mistakes I made was I spent too much time focusing on the features in the product and not enough time on getting customers. So why was that a problem for you?
1: Well, I wouldn't say it was a Problem. I'm. Just, I just. You know. As you said, it's a. It's a very busy market. So if you're not keeping up with your competition, you're going to be behind. So with exchange leads, we focus so much on getting clients, but then we had that we had the same product and we weren't focusing anything on the features. So when you focus so much on the clients and you're not building new features, people are going to you know potentially leave you to go somewhere where they're more innovative. They're more adding new stuff every week. People always want to see improvements. I want to see new features. And with auto Close, you know, to be honest, it's it's become where it's more word of mouth, and you know, on our newsletter, every two weeks we are launching new something new. Every two weeks we launch new. You know, this week we're doing A/B testing, for example. Two weeks from now we're going to do tagging. Two weeks from now we'll do something else, like a LinkedIn integration. And the clients like to see that you're always improving your product. And the one thing that we do, another very growth hack and great for building features, is we actually ask our we don't build features on what we want we actually sent a survey out to our clients. and said, what features do you want? Here are eight things we have on our roadmap. You pick one, two, and three, and we're going to take a vote from all of our clients. And whatever one, two, and three, that's what we're going to build. And we've done that. So now every time we throw out a feature, the majority of our clients asked for it. So they're always looking forward to something new. So I wouldn't say it was a problem, but I just think that we continue to build features. We continue to improve our product, our client's appreciate that more than having a stagnant product or feature that just does the same thing month over month.
0: And then in terms of pricing, you, you, you said that that had been a mistake because you'd priced yourself too cheap in the early days. How much were you charging when you launched?
1: This is actually the best piece of business advice I've ever received. Okay. And I'm going to tell you who it's from. It's from David Cancel at Drift. He was speaking at an event and he said, and this is before I start articles, he goes, Never give your software away for free. Even if you have to charge one penny a month, $1 a month, make them have something invested. And I listened to his advice and it was probably the best thing we did. So when I first got my first 20 clients, I would actually go on the phone and go, I'd show them a demo and they'd be like, how much is it? I'm like, how much is it worth to you? (laughs) One guy would go, I don't know, like 20 bucks a month. You got it. One person might say, 30 bucks a month, you got it. One person might say, well, I can't afford it now, I'd give you five bucks, you got it. And that's how I actually got my first 20 clients. I actually let them tell me what they were willing to pay for it. And then what we did was we found out like the sweet spot and we slowly moved our way up. But we had them, we had people invested in our product from day one. So nobody, we, at that point, we didn't even have a free trial. So nobody got the product for free. Everyone had to invest at least a dollar, a cent, something month to month to start a product. And that was probably the best thing that happened to us early on.
0: So instead of like what a lot of people would do is they'd launch the product, either they'd give the product away for free. And I mean, that can totally work. I mean, you talked about Calendly earlier and I just recently did an interview with Tope, the founder of Calendly and giving the way the product away for free was actually one of the smartest things that worked for him. So in certain Industries or cases or whatever, it makes sense. But I think here, I I, yeah, I totally understand what you're saying. But I think a lot of founders would say, okay, well, I got this product. I'm, I've decided I'm going to charge for it, and then they're going to look at what other products, competitive products, are charging, and probably base their price on that, or maybe a bit cheaper or whatever. Right? That's kind of like how sort of a V one pricing strategy might look. But I think it was interesting that you sort of deferred that completely to your customers and and let them decide what it was worth to them. How did people react when you asked them, like, how much is it worth to you?
1: They, they, were, they were shocked because I had like, I would actually, and I would hold them to it. So when I said to somebody, well, how much is it worth to you? And the guy goes, 20 bucks. I'm like, okay, that's what you're paying. <laughs> and he goes, well, we just said 10. I'm like, well, no, now it's 12. like I actually gave people early on. Because, but that helped me find out, you know, early on while we were building features, what our product was actually worth. Because when we had more, we had a lot of people say, well, you know, $20 a month, $20 a month. We actually started our pricing at nineteen ninety nine a month. And then what we did was because you can always start low and then continue to raise your pricing, but it's hard to keep your price at 100 and then go the other way around. So we started at 19.99, and we kept increasing our pricing every three months until we found we were getting feedback from people saying, "Oh, well, you're competitive to this guy." Originally, when we were in 19.99, everyone's like, "Wow, you're so cheap," and they loved the product at 29.99. You guys are so cheap, and that's how we kind of figured out our pricing. So we actually had more of our clients determine what pricing we were going to use until today even
0: and then right now the product starts at around 50 bucks a month right
1: exactly 49.99 and that's where we've been for the last 6 months we moved from I said you know from almost a dollar whatever people wanted to this price over the first year of the product
0: so when you were charging 19.99 a month or whatever that was like did you feel like you were attracting some of the wrong types of customers
1: yes But to be honest, early on, it was the best thing for us. So what it was is we were getting those clients that were very nitty-picky, but they would find bugs. They would find things in our software that another person might not be able to find. So even though they weren't the right clients, they did help us build our product, what it is today, by finding different things that even our testing and our development team couldn't find. So it has its pros and cons. And we, I mean, we, we still have some of those people, we grandfathered them in. So we have still some people at 1999 that still use the software.
0: That's that's really interesting. Yeah, that's a, that's a great way to, to find testers, right? It's like, let people pay you to test the product and find bugs. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> All right. Okay, great. So while I have you here, there's there's one other thing I wanted to talk about kind of related to just the business that you're in. And, you know, I was talking to a, a founder, recently who had been using cold email to try and kind of get meetings set up with prospects and wasn't having a lot of luck within in terms of getting responses and i really wanted to kind of pick your brain in terms of like if you were like sitting down with somebody you know an early stage founder who said okay i want to use cold email and I want to use that as a way to reach my prospects. Apart from going and reading the Autoclose blog, which we'll link to, and getting the B2B handbook, which we'll also put a link to in the show notes, what are some of the top tips that you would give them to sort of take away and think about?
1: God, I could probably go on for hours. So I'm going to make this... (laughs) I'll give you a (laughs) few of them. A few is subject lines. Remember, most people read their emails on their phone. So if you're writing long subject lines, they're not going to read half the words. So make sure you keep your subject line short and sweet. Another thing I would recommend is, and I I hate when people do this, is in their first line of their email, they say, hi, my name is Sean Feiner. I'm the CEO of AutoClose, dot, 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 dot. Okay. Never introduce yourself in the first line of your email. What you want to do is, first of all, they already know who you are and what company you work for because you emailed them and it says Sean at AutoClose.com. So they know your first name, Sean, and they know you work at AutoClose. What you want to do is go right into a value or a challenge in that first line. In that first three seconds, if you're talking to a CEO, for example, you might want to say, I'll use an example, Might be like, you know, if I told you I can triple your revenue when cut your your sales reps time in half, you know, that might be interesting. Somebody might read that email. But if you just go into, hi, my name is, you know, Bill from abc.com, don't talk about yourself or your company. Talk about a challenge or some value that you can provide your end user client. And the other thing would be personalization. Personalize your emails. Don't make it sound like you're on MailChimp sending it to a thousand people. These are personalized emails. So include different things that are personalized, like your name, the company, maybe the revenue or the state they're in, et cetera, in your message. And then the last thing I'll say to you is stop with the long emails. I would say 50 to 75 words in an email is perfect for a cold outreach. Your follow-ups can be three to four sentences do not write paragraph after paragraph selling your product. You should have a call to action. Your end goal should be to try and get them on the phone, send them a case study, build that trust and that engagement in those emails. So when you pick up the phone or you reach out to them, they'll actually reply.
0: How would you do a follow-up? I mean, we often hear like, hey, you know, don't do the, I'm just checking in or... I didn't hear it back from you from my last email. So what's kind of your approach to doing follow-ups in a way that's more likely to get a response?
1: I'll do a few different things. I mean, I'm not totally against, you know, like the, you know, just checking as we close out the week, just following up as we, as we start the week. I'm not totally against that. But what I like to do is be a little bit different. So I'll add like a personalized video or, you know... I might say, you know, I understand you're you're very, as a CEO, you're very busy. I just create a five-minute recorded video for you to watch. So then I'll send them like a video where I can see if they watch and how much of the video they watch. Or I might go into like a case study. For example, let's use a company that's in manufacturing. I might find another manufacturing company or talk about the results of another manufacturing company or one of their competitors in the email and say, hey, you know, we've helped company ABC. This is the results they had. We can do the same for your company. You know, here's a link to our case study. Because you you need to continue to build trust. And the only way to build trust is by continuing to engage and maybe show them a case study of some proven results that somebody else has had.
0: Yeah, I think the video is a really nice touch. And and video is a great product for doing that. Not a lot of people would make the effort to do that. So I think just, just by doing that, I think it helps you to stand out. Exactly. All right, no, great tips. Great tips. Thanks for sharing those. So let's wrap up. Let's get on the lightning round. I'm going to ask you seven questions. Just try and answer them as quickly as you can. Ready? Yep. Okay. What's the, well, you've already answered this, but what's the best piece <laughs> of business advice you've ever received?
1: Uh, well, As I said, the best business advice is don't give your product away for free. Charge something for your SaaS product. It could be anything. Even ask your clients what they want to pay.
0: What book would you recommend to our audience and why?
1: Uh, I'll just say one that I read recently was um, From Inevitable to Impossible by Aaron Ross. Um, It was a great book on how some other SaaS companies and bigger companies scaled their business. So it's a a great novel and a great read.
0: What's one attribute or characteristic in your mind of a successful entrepreneur?
1: You got to be competitive because you're going to win some, you're going to lose some, but you have to be able to take that roller coaster. And I think competitive people make great salespeople and great entrepreneurs.
0: What's your favorite personal productivity tool or habit?
1: I'm not going to mention my own company. I'll say LinkedIn. I love using LinkedIn for different engagement tools and for my own personal brand, which I think nowadays is very important.
0: What's a new or crazy business idea you'd love to pursue if you had the extra time?
1: Well, it's not really a new or crazy business idea, but if I had the extra time, I live in Toronto, I would be flipping houses in this Toronto real estate market because it is just going crazy.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah I love watching those flipping shows.
1: Yeah, yeah, me too.
0: I, I tell you. I tell you they make it look so easy. If only if it was. Anyway, what's an interesting or fun fact about you that most people don't know?
1: I played professional tennis. I was a number 2 ranked in Canada and had a world ranking of 190 in the world as a junior and also played in the same tennis tournament as the Bryan brothers, Roger Federer, etc, because we're all the uh, the same age.
0: That does yeah, I mean we were talking about that before we started recording. That's just uh That's one of the most interesting facts I think we've had from anyone. (laughs) And finally, what's one of your most important passions outside of your work?
1: I love all sports, but a real passion and something I love to do in my spare time uh, whenever I travel is uh, play poker. I've always uh, been a very avid poker player, hoping to play in the SOP next year, hopefully, finally, because that's one of the things I really want to do.
0: Cool. Great. Well, Sean, thank you for joining me. It's been a pleasure. And uh, thank you for sharing kind of like the story of AutoClose and jumping into the details of, of what you've done to to grow the business and, and some of the mistakes you've made and lessons you learned from that. If people want to check out AutoClose, they can go to autoclose.com and that's close with a K. And if they want to get in touch with you, with, I know where are the best is, but just tell them. <laughs>
1: The <laughs> uh, best way to get in touch with me is, I'm, I'm as I'm always on LinkedIn, you can add me on LinkedIn. Um, I also post all our content on our LinkedIn page. Um, but if you have any sales questions or you're starting a SaaS or anything, feel free to email me. I love to network with everybody. So you can email me, Sean, S-H-A-W-N, at com, And that is autoclose with a K.
0: Autoclose with a K. Yeah. Don't forget that. Awesome. Thanks, Sean. It's been a pleasure and uh, I wish you all the best.
1: Thank you so much. That was a lot of fun, Omar.
0: Cheers.